what's up? Hey, hey. How you guys doing? So that, that taco bar was solid. Please, giant shout out to all the, all the cooks and chefs. Yes, and amen. Come on. What's up? Hey, my name is Kurt. I am, um, I am 40 years old, and I realized on the way over here, it hit me as I was driving here. Okay, I, I started doing campus ministry at UK in 2004, which means that I think I've been a campus minister longer than most of you guys have been alive. Yeah, that's, that, was a, that was a little jarring. But that's also awesome because, for real, I don't, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like, oh, man, I love praying for you guys. Like, guys, you don't understand that just when I look around this room, you, you have no idea. Like, I, I got in my mind, I have these images of all these, like, elderly ladies and these awesome men of God who I know have prayed for you, who have spent years just asking God, like, hey, do a thing in the students at the University of Kentucky. Do a work. My favorite prayer that I've been praying over campus even this past year has been, God, don't do something so small that people would be tempted to blame us. Do something God-sized. It was so cool, you know, even last year it was um, my best buds, a guy named Zach, and we were, we were just walking through a lot of life together, and he was going through this really tough season of just, just feeling less than in ministry, and we were like walking through what that looked like, and in the middle of all that, he was going to, um, he was going to go speak at a chapel service at Asbury, and we were praying for that service, and I remember I was like, I'm on the knees with a big group of people praying that God would do a work as he was speaking at chapel, mostly just because his heart had been going through so much. And he stands up to speak, he finishes his sermon, he sits down and he texts his wife. He says, lay it a stinker, be home soon. And then God did something in that room. And about 18 or 19 students stayed and they kept staying and it lasted for 16 days. And it shook things up in our nation and raised the level of expectation that people have for Gen Z and what God's going to do. And I remember watching that and being like, God, that was a cool prayer. Like, I thought that sounded cool. God, do a big thing. Do something so big that you get the credit. And then, because I've, I've gotten to watch it happen. I can tell you stories that span 20 years of watching God do impossible things here at this campus. And I tell you that not to be like, oh, man, I saw cool stuff and a cool interest prayer. I say that because I want you to know that you're not just here as freshmen in college, as the young people on this campus, you're here with an inheritance. You're here with an inheritance of people who have prayed for you, who believe that God is about to do a thing and that you are going to have a front row seat to watch him do something at the University of Kentucky, to watch him do something in your generation that will be way too big for people to be like, oh, that was some really cool human ingenuity. That was some people with great personalities falling in love with Jesus. No, to do something God-sized. You know, my, my story, it was really cool just even praying through, like, God, when I think through solitude and when I think through what it means to talk about simplicity, my, my journey did not begin the way I thought it would. I was a, um, you probably can't tell from down there, but I'm pretty big. I'm six feet nine, 250 pounds. I'm the same height and weight as LeBron James. Yeah. Yep, that's, unfortunately, it's the end of our similarities. Um, very different athletically, bank accounts, very different, very different bank accounts. But, you know, I'm a big guy, played a lot of basketball, loved basketball, was going to college to play basketball. And 
in the process, my knees got bad, and I began praying. And really began for the first time, my faith became my own when I was about your all's age. And I think my faith was genuine. I knew Jesus. I loved Jesus. I was raised in a home with a mom who prayed and saw impossible things happen. I knew that God was real, and I knew that God was good. But around my senior year of high school and in my freshman year of college, I had to decide, is this a faith that I've inherited, or is this going to be my own? And the journey that God sent me on when I was your all's age, man, it wrecked me in a way I've never recovered from. And I'm hoping the same thing will happen to you. I remember I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore at Campbellsville University. And I was like, you know, I was kind of in Bible college. I was, knew I was going to like be a pastor or whatever. And I was reading the Bible all the time. And the more I read, the more I realized the Bible did not look like my life. I saw it and I said, God, like, I can't take this anymore. I remember one day, I was a sophomore in college, Campbellsville University, in my dorm room. I'm on my bed and I'm just crying out to God. I'm like, God, I'm sick. I can't take any more fake. Like, I can't take it. And I know there's still some fake in my heart. Like, you got to fix this. And I told him, I was like, God, I'll do anything if you make my life match up to the word of God. And I did the whole classic. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was like crying. You know, I'm having this moment on my dorm room bed. And I just like opened my Bible. And I'm like, wherever it opens, I'm going to do the next thing I read. You know, one of those classics. Now, most of the time, that, that can end up with some sketchy stuff because there's some weird stories in the Bible. But thankfully, that day, I opened up, and the Bible opened to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is a story of Jesus sending out 72 people, 72 people in pairs, so 36 pairs. He said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Everybody grab a friend. Grab a friend, and I want you to go on a road trip. But here's the trick. You're not allowed to take money. not allowed to take extra clothes. You just have to go, and you have to trust that I'll provide. And I read that, and I was like, Lord, I've seen a lot of people interpret that metaphorically. Mission trips are like going on a spiritual journey with Jesus. But I've never seen anybody actually do that. And I felt like the Lord said, go ahead. And so, finished out my sophomore year, finished finals week, barely. I got to the end of that week. I dropped out of school. I called an agnostic friend of mine. I said, hey, I'm going to go on a road trip and find out if God's real. Do you want to go? He said, yeah. And so he did. And we took a couple weeks, and we got in the car, and we would sit, and I would say, hey, we're not moving the car until God tells us where to go next. And he's like, I don't even know if he's real. I'm like, well, that's too bad. kind of sucks because you got to hear his voice. And so we would literally, I'd just sit there, and I'd be like, I'm going to wait until you hear something. <laughs> We'd sit quiet. My, it was my grandmother's Chrysler New Yorker, which was, it was like so uncool that even my grandmother wouldn't be seen in it, and so she gave it to me. And we're sitting there in the car, and I remember all of a sudden he goes, wait, I think I just heard a city in my head. I'm like, all right, what city was it? He's like, Miami. I'm like, dang, that's a long way. All right, we're doing it. And so we did, just took off and started driving. And it was, guys, when I came back, there was, I, I didn't see like anybody's blind eyes open. I didn't see some of the miraculous things even that I read about that are evidence in God's word. But by the end of it, I never, my, goal, my rule was I wasn't allowed to ask for money or tell people I needed something that God had to provide. And by the time I got back, people had handed us $700 for no reason. Some stories about things that were like crazy, like asking for particular numbers and God providing the exact number, like crazy stuff. And I get back and I'm like, man, God, that was really fun. 
And that was, and I realized in that moment, like, wait, this, my whole life, I thought that a journey with Jesus was like sacrificing fun to do the right thing. And it hit me, guys, this God that you are being invited to follow has a monopoly on joy. He has a monopoly on it. And if you want to live a life, if you want to live a life that is like, has a level of fullness that nothing else can give you access to, I promise. I don't just say it because it's like the right cheesy church answer. Like, I've lived it. Finished that road trip, came home. Um, I got home on a Saturday. My car broke down on the way. Ended up at home on a Greyhound bus. Crazy journey there. Get home on a Saturday. On a Sunday, somebody gives me their car. Three days later, I get a call from a buddy by name Chris Morgan. He said, hey, God's told me to go to U of L to be a campus minister. I said, that doesn't sound like God. You know, I said, I don't know if, I don't know if the Lord would ever send anybody to Louisville, but, but he thought he thought Lord sent him there. He said, and he's told me you're supposed to take my place. So 2004, I come to the University of Kentucky. And I began this journey with the Lord. About three years later, I became a pastor and I began to walk through what it looked like to say yes to not just being a preacher and not just like being a full-time minister, but saying Jesus, I want to wake up every day, and I want to know if you were a six-foot-nine dude in Lexington, Kentucky, what would you do with your Monday? And then beginning to fill in the blanks, slowly but surely, learning who he is and how he is. And it was so fun, guys, because by the time I was about 23, 24, I began to ask the Lord, I said, Jesus, when you were on earth, it said the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Could I do that? And I'd been taking these road trips, seeing God do cool things, and I felt like he gave me permission to do that full time. Like if I was going to be a shepherd of people at a church, like, and I'd been real bitter at pastors. I didn't like church much. I said, God, if you're going to call me to be this, you've got to let me be a different kind of version than what I've seen. So I moved into my car, and I lived there for years, and I learned to need God, and I learned to hear his voice. And I, you know, I, I saw this, this title, like, Solitude and simplicity. And guys, I, I was thinking about it like, man, Lord, what? I, my thought tonight was, hey, Jesus, if you got to stand up on stage and you got to invite a group of young men and young women to know what it means to be willing to engage in solitude, to learn to live a life of simplicity, what would you say? And the one thing I think that he would be most excited to contend for is this. Guys, he is way more fun than you have ever given him credit for being. And I kind of want to prove that through some moments in God's word. I'm going to make some statements tonight, um, periodically, where I'll say things. I'll say things like, God told me, or I heard the Lord. Those can be sketchy statements. The problem is, the only thing sketchier than somebody saying they hear the voice of God is trying to live a biblical lifestyle and never hearing him. Because the word of God will invite you to be the kind of person that doesn't just know God's will by inference through his word, but you will know it explicitly by relationship with him. And sometimes the way I explain like knowing God's voice is like this. Sometimes you're going to have thoughts in your head that are way more intelligent than your own. And when that happens, give God credit for them. A lot of times in my life, that's the way it's been. I'll, like when I ask God where to go next, what to do, it's... I don't, I've never heard an audible voice from God, never. It's never been audible. But I also heard a man of God once say, the voice of God's not audible, it's louder than that. And I've learned that. I've learned to know him like a friend. One time I was praying, I heard the Lord say, hey, Kurt, 
start praying the prayers I never say no to. And I was like, yeah, Lord, that's cool. I'll do that. And then I realized, I'm like, wait, which ones is that? And I began asking, like, hey, for real, what, which were the ones that you never say no to? And all of a sudden it hit me. Wait, the prayers he never says no to are the ones that coincide with his promises in the text of God's word. So one thing we're going to talk about tonight are these promises of God. And I learned, uh, you'll see this up on, the, up on the screen here in a second. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he also insists on being the God who rides in your passenger seat. And guys, one of the things that changed my life was when, and I, I got my whole life at church, preacher's kid, and I knew that he was like the God of authority. I knew that he was great and he was enthroned in the highest heavens. But the reason we celebrate him is because he didn't stay in the heavens. He snuck down to earth as a poor kid, grew up, and lived a life that didn't necessarily make him stick out the way that everybody thought a Messiah should. And while he is enthroned, guys, he cannot wait to be the God that rides in the passenger seat of your car, the God that sits next to you in every class, the God that never leaves and never forsakes, as his word says. When I was praying for you all about what it means to to really learn to live this life. You know, solitude is one of those things that gets a bad rap. People are like, oh, solitude. I remember thinking about like trying to learn to meditate on God's word. And I was like, man, meditate's weird. Like, do I have to learn yoga? You know, like I hate yoga. I'm just not stretchy, you know? And I'm like, so like meditate, like home. That's Eastern mysticism. But the Bible word for meditate, this is really cool. It's what's called an anamanapia, and it's the word haga. The word meditate in God's word is literally this. It is the sound a lion makes as it devours its prey. That's what the word meditate means. Not to sit with an empty mind, but to say, God, I want to sit with you so that you fill me up. That you fill me up with yourself. I think about what it means to live life learning to hear God's voice and to know him. I think about it like this. You want to make sure that you always have a small ear or uh, a small mouth, big ear prayer life. Right. You want to make sure that you're always, when you're having a conversation with the Father, don't when your prayer time, make sure it's not just all you talking. Make sure these are these moments where you say, God, I trust that if you're the kind of God that wants to interact, I'm going to give you space to do so and sit and spend time with him. When I was praying for you, all the scripture kept coming up, Galatians 2.20. It's one of my favorite verses in all of God's word. The Apostle Paul, right in this church, a little town called Galatia, and he's praying for them, and he, he tells them, he says, guys, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I just live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was praying through that one day, and all of a sudden it hit me. Man, you know what's cool about that? Like this life that I live. Life is a broad term. Life includes everything. Life is one of those, it's like, it fits if you're in 21st century America or if it fit if you were in 1st century Palestine. Like it fits no matter what, life. And you can put anything in that life and it will make sense. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm now a husband and I'm a dad. And I love being a husband and a dad. But I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who loves my wife. It is Christ who gets to love Lauren through me. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who plays a whole lot of baseball in the backyard with my little boy Win, but it is Christ within me. Like everything that I do in the flesh, I do by faith. I do as if God is giving me the privilege of allowing him to live through me. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who stewards your freshman year of college, but Christ within you who stewards your freshman year for you. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who has to figure out what to do with the rest of your life, but Christ within you who will empower you, encourage you, equip you, and is more excited about telling you about his will for your life than you're going to be about finding it out. That's who you're called to be. You know, when I was, uh, one day I was praying and I heard the Lord say something that I, was one of those that I should have known, but I didn't. And it ended up affecting a whole lot more areas in my life than I thought it would. I've been married for seven years. I'm 40 years old, which means I didn't get married until I was 33. So I got married a little later in life. You know, I've been, I was out of the house at 18, was financially independent, all that stuff, was living homeless on the road. The, I'll have to tell you all more stories about the, I know, I know just dropping like, yeah, I was homeless for years. Like that's, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of stories with that. I ended up in 33 countries. Had the Lord do some incredible supernatural things. It was beautiful. I loved it. I loved it. But along the way, it was really sweet because I really wanted, I wanted to be married, especially when I got to be about 30, 31 years old. And I was like, God, why aren't you giving me this desire in my heart? You know, and I was like praying for it. Like, God, come on. Why aren't you coming through? And one day I'm praying and I hear the Lord say this to me. Hey, Kurt, you know I'm more excited about your wedding day than you are? And I stopped and I was like, I should have known that. You know, like even hearing that, I was like, obviously that's him. But I missed it. And then I realized that wasn't just for my wedding day. He's more excited about your future than you are. He's more excited about answering your prayers than you are. When I think about what it's going to mean to present to you all an appeal to be people that are willing to live with the discipline of solitude, I think, man, the only way this is going to happen, my appeal to you is not to give you five steps to be able to sit in silence and not be bored. Because I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest. It's not to, like, teach you, oh, do this five minutes today, six minutes tomorrow, seven minutes the day after that. All those things are fine. And I think there's lots of great stuff that you can look up and you can find from teaching from incredible men and authors throughout the, um, men and women throughout the years, throughout church history. But what I feel compelled to try to convince you of today is this, that if you encounter a God who is more fun to hang out with than your friends, solitude will come easy and it will come on accident. Now, guys, I don't spend time with God because I should and I've worked it into my day. I do it because my chest hurts when I don't. Like for real. I don't, and I'm, that's not some like, I'm not some spiritual giant dude. Like I've got lots of stuff that my heart is still working on. Like so many ways. I tell God, one of the prayers I pray most often is, God, I cannot believe that I'm still this unlike you after all these years. But the one thing that I can tell you without a doubt is that I love being with Jesus. I love it. Obviously so much that I'm a, Six foot nine, 40 year old man about to cry in front of a group of people. Because, like, I just, I'm telling you guys, there's nothing like being with him. When you get to know his voice and you realize that the God of the universe 
would humble himself to speak in such a way that you can hear him, it changes everything. It changes everything. He's more excited about your future than you are. He's more excited about answering your prayers than you're going to be about watching an answer. One of the reasons I get so excited about hanging out in this room, I love the ministry of CSF for about 20 years now since I first stepped foot on this campus. And I've seen God do some incredible things here. I'm going to sing a song here in a little bit. This one that I wrote at CSF at 3 o'clock prayer years ago. And guys, I love what he's done here. But I'm even more excited about what he's about to do. Had a job years ago for Lifeway Christian Resources. And they, I got to run a prayer room for a ministry called Beach Reach. We go down to Panama City Beach during the three weeks of spring break, three weeks of college spring break. And we'd set up all the stuff in preparation the week before, and then we'd have three different groups come through. And I ran the prayer room. And I got to spend at least five to nine hours with 700 college students. I did it three years in a row, and it was one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I remember I would, they put me in this condo, and we were up on the eighth floor. And if you've ever been to Panama City Beach, I, I hear that it's cleaned up quite a bit in the last few years, but back in the day, it was, whew, it, it was, it, is it ratchet? Is that, what the, is that what the kids say? All right, it was, it was wild out there, all right? It was some messed up stuff. And I remember I go out on my, I go out on my balcony, and I pray, and I put my little pillow down, and I get on my knees, and I'd be like, Lord, Lord, I want you to, I want you to do something here at this beach. But it looked pretty hopeless. One day, I'm on my knees, and I'm praying, and just by myself out there on this little balcony, looking out, craziness has happened on the beach. They say at any given moment, 80% of the people on the beach were intoxicated. Only one out of five would be sober. That's at any moment of the day, 3 p.m., 3 a.m., anytime. And it was crazy. And I'm looking out there pretty hopeless. And I hear the Lord say, hey, Kurt, you can pray Mark 9-1 over them. And I'm like, yeah. And then I realize I have no idea what Mark 9-1 says. So I'm like, all right, Lord, what does that say? So I open up my Bible. And Mark 9-1 says this. Truly, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Oof. I couldn't fake that. You know, looking down at a generation of people who have given up morality altogether. And I was thinking about just the hope that the Lord has woken up in me for what he's about to do. And I was thinking about it even driving in today. I live four minutes away right down this, right down this road behind Joe Ellis. And as I a short little drive on the way out here, I was just praying again. I was like, man, Lord. I can pray Mark 9-1 over them too. I can pray Mark 9-1 over every student that shows up at shift tonight. Truly, truly. There are some of you sitting at these tables tonight eating tacos who will not taste death until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And I don't know a lot about it. And there's some of you in this room I know. I love a whole lot. Some of you I don't. But the one thing that I know for sure, I know that every one of us right now is in some way, shape, or form committing the same sin. Oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? We're all cumulatively committing the same sin together. All of us right now are underestimating what God would be willing and able to do through us. You're all committing that sin, and so am I. And he has not given us the mental capacity 
to dream as big as he's willing to dream. But guys, if I'm going to talk about, you know, my, my life got much simpler than I thought it would. I, I always, you know, sports were easy for me. School was easy for me. I kind of thought I was going to be doing something very different than finding myself at 28 years old being a homeless man, waking up in my car on cold nights, needing the voice of God to tell me where to go next and what to do. And I can tell you that that's like, oh, that was a cool way to learn solitude. But guys, learning to be solid, learning to live in solitude and simplicity, to me, those were just means to a greater end. They were just the bait that God used to want to turn me into a man who knew him like a friend. And I don't know where you're at tonight. And while I can assume that every one of us are underestimating what he'd be willing to do, I can also know this. God is more excited about being your friend than you are about being his. And that sounds simple. But if you learn to have a friendship with an enthusiastic God, not just a distant God, not just an authoritative God, but if you learn to have a friendship with a God who is enthusiastic about getting to know you, I won't have to convince you to prioritize solitude. You will yearn. You will yearn to spend time with him, to get alone with him, to know his voice, and to give up anything to find out how. It's not often that when somebody says, you know, kind of most of these lessons that I'm telling you are kind of spiritual lessons, like sort of heart issues, but I actually get to have a tangible, physical, visible proof today that God is more excited about answering your prayers than you are about seeing him answer. And uh, it's this guitar right here. Now, this guitar, this guitar probably didn't look that fancy or crazy to you guys, but for some reason, and this is bizarre to me, but this guitar is $12,000. $12,000. But it was free for me. I got it for $0, which is exactly the number of dollars I could afford when I got that guitar, which is great. So please do not steal it and try to Facebook marketplace it. I will find it, and I will body slam you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's right. But this guitar, I love this guitar. It's called a McPherson. It's built by this dude here in America, whatever. It's fancy and nice and all that stuff. But I was playing an old 12-string guitar years ago. And I kept it in my car with me when I was on the road. So it would be in there when it snowed, nice and all that. And that thing got bent, all out of shape. It was, you know, guitars are made of wood, and wood warps when you don't take care of it. So I told somebody once, I remember putting that thing on the stage at church, and it looked like it had scoliosis, like that the neck was just like bent. It was terrible. would never stay in tune. And one day, I sing at a church, and I put the guitar down, and I just began whining to God. Like, God, I'm playing this janky guitar, and I'm playing it for you. I'm like, I need a nice guitar. And I start, like, whining in prayer. And immediately, the Lord stops me. And I hear him say this, Kurt, have I, ever, have I ever left you without something you need? I said, nah, never, Lord, forgive me. And immediately a scripture popped in my head. And I love when I think I'm hearing God's voice, if immediately a passage of scripture pops in my head, because then it confirms that I can know for sure that's him. And it was Psalm 3410. You'll see it up here on the, on the screen. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I said, all right, Lord. I'm seeking you, and right now I'm lacking the guitar that I like. And I said, God, you know what? I'm good. 
You've given me everything that I need. I don't need anything else. And I, for real, I remember I, like, I put it to rest. That day it was done. I was content. 48 hours later, my phone buzzes. Got a text from an old friend I hadn't talked to in ages. He's actually a dude who met his wife here at CSF. He was a worship leader here at CSF years ago. And he texted me. I'd preached his wedding a while before, but I hadn't seen him in forever. And he said, hey, Kurt, this is going to be random, but my wife and I just got a large inheritance. And we asked God what to do with the tithe. And the first thing he told both of us in prayer was, buy Kurt his dream guitar. Will you let us? All right. So I said, yes, I will let you. I would love to allow you to serve me in this way. And so we go to Wilcutt's Guitar Shop right down the road from here. And I go through, and I'm like, they're bringing all these guitars out, and I'm playing all of them. And my buddy said, the only rule is you're not allowed to look at price tags. So I, like, see this one guitar, and I see the price tag. It's like $3,000. like, Psh, nope, put that down. Like, no way we're getting that thing. And then they bring this guitar out from, like, the back. It doesn't have any tags on it, which should have been my first sign that something was up. And they open this guitar up, and I play it. And I'm like, my gosh, I've never played a guitar that sounds or feels like this. This thing's amazing. And the guy goes, yeah, it should. It's twelve grand." I was like, oh, no way. I quickly put it back in the case. And as I'm putting it back, trying, just afraid to touch it, my buddy goes, we'll take it. I said, no, we will not take it. We will not take the $12,000 guitar. We will not do that today. Mm -mm. And he's like, Kurt, I told you not allowed to look at price tags. I was like, this is an exception. That's understandable if the price tag is four figures. It's not okay if it's got five, you know. He's like, Kurt, I told you, that's a free guitar. And it was cool because I remember sitting back, still being a slightly recovering homeless man at the time, and being like, Lord, I don't like, I don't want to have a nice thing. I felt guilty about it. And I felt like the Lord said, Kurt, somebody's going to play that guitar and it's going to sound really good. I'd rather it be played for me. And it's cool because even sitting here in front of you guys tonight, it's a great thing for a guy to say, oh, God is really excited about getting to know you. He wants to be a friend. You can be a kind of person that hears his voice. Those things are all great. But guys, like, every time I pick that thing up, I get to be reminded, God, you are more excited about answering my prayers than I am about praying them. And he's more excited about his will for your life and your future than you are. And so as we finish today, I'm going to invite you. We're going to spend some time maybe in a little bit of solitude even. I'm going to play um, a song that, Part of it you might be familiar with, a song called Worthy of It All. And then I'm going to sing some choruses that we wrote here at CSF a while ago. And as we do, I'd love for you to sing along if you'd like. But if you want, I would also encourage you, man, find a way to just get alone with Jesus in here for a bit. All right? Maybe it's going to the back of the room. And as you do, I want you to pray something really, really simple. I just want you to pray this over yourself. Say, God, make it impossible for me to walk out of this room until I love you a little bit more than I do right now. Lord, I trust. Well, I trust that's a prayer you'll never say no to. That, Father, for real, if every student in this room authentically turned their hearts towards you and said, hey, God, they just kind of almost like an experiment. They were just like, hey, God, will you do whatever it takes to draw me close to you, to make it impossible for me to leave here until I love you a little bit more than I did when I came in? I 
cannot imagine you'd ever say no to that. Hey, Jesus, I know that if you were here tonight, you would have said way cooler things than I said. I know, Lord, that if you were here tonight, you would have been able to convince this room full of us that you love us more than we ever thought possible. But I ask, I ask, Lord, that even though we can't see you, since I know you are here, that you will start a conversation with each of us and do whatever it takes to draw us into loving you. May we walk out of here more in love with you than we thought possible when we got here. Your name.
Lord, you're better than I think you are. Yeah, you're better than I think you are. After all of these songs I sing and all of these words I say, you're still better than I think you are. Lord, knowing that you're worthy, I just ask that you will turn our hearts to a place where they're willing to say yes to you. May we do the bravest and boldest thing that any heart could ever do, Lord. May we just simply lean in to what it means to live out an unconditional yes to everything that you plan and intend. Bless our discussion, our time together tonight. In your name, amen, amen. I hit your tables. You kind of turn there in your groups. And the first thing I'm going to have you ask is just simply kind of what, what stuck out when you think about it. it can be something I said, a scripture we talked about today. But what is it that's kind of, uh, what do you think God's doing in your heart right now as you think about what it means to be a person that responds with a yes to Jesus? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. 